Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, let's bring in Katie Nixon, Chief Investment Officer for Northern Trust Wealth Management, joining us on the phone from Rye, New York. Katie, I'd love to start with earnings. You know, we've had some, some good tech earnings. We had some. We started off the season with good bank earnings. 40% um, away through the S&P 500 in terms of reporting. They seem pretty good to me. Are, are they enough to support this market and, and the folks that raise the valuation concern? So far, so good, Paul. I mean, I do think earnings across industries have come in uh, stronger than analysts had anticipated um, uh, on a relative basis and on an absolute basis, just really strong. We have strong earnings from industrial companies and banks and tech, as you suggest. So, yes, these earnings are good enough to support markets here at even these high valuations. Um, and as we know, and I, I know you've mentioned this before as well, uh, valuations are a pretty poor market timing tool over a short-term period. So even though valuations are, are relatively high today, it really doesn't provide any useful information for investors who are trying to guess what the market's going to do over the next six or 12 months. Katie, I fully understand that the earnings story is looking pretty good and that kind of feeds into a bullish narrative. But then I think about risks out there and I can think of many. Mm -hmm. I can think of policy normalization on the behalf of monetary policy and fiscal policy. You have COVID risks still out there, inflation, an ever-present fear in these markets. Why are earnings enough to offset all of that? Well, the fundamental backdrop is, is really strong, Kaylee, and I think that's really what investors are buying into. Right, we're buying these robust, resilient company uh, earnings and cash flows. But I do think you raise some really good issues. But probably the biggest risk for investors right now is inflation. Um, how persistent for how long? And maybe more important than that question is what will the Fed do about it? And I think that's where we sort of differ with the the market narrative um, on on that score because. Our view is inflation is going to be transitory for longer. I know that's sort of become the, the phrase du jour. Um, we do think we're going to have, you know, higher than 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 um, target inflation probably for the next six months or so. Um, but but after that point, we think we're going to normalize. I mean, at a certain point, the supply chain disruptions are going to ease, and at the same time, demand is also going to be easing as we get into 2022. You referenced sort of the fiscal issue. Um, not that there's necessarily a household fiscal cliff coming, but we certainly see on a relative basis, you know, far less fiscal stimulus in the system in 2022 relative to 2021 or 2020. Um, so demand will likely ease just as supply is really coming on stream. And I think that will ease the inflationary concerns. And in the meantime, we don't think the Fed's going to react. Mm. We see that the market is pricing in a couple of Fed hikes in 2022, and we think that's really overdoing it. All right, so the Fed is doing its job, uh, Katie. How about our friends in Congress? How concerned are you, or how concerned should the market be with, you know, the various pieces of legislation winding their way through Congress? Is it simple enough to say, oh, at the end of the day, they'll get something done? I think they will get something done, Paul. We're we're looking at you know 1.5 to 1.75 trillion, which is significant. Um, so we do think that they'll get something done. And you know the pay for us now. The good news for investors is it doesn't seem as if we're going to get a wholesale increase in the in the corporate tax rate um, from 21 to 25 or even 26 percent. We might have this 50 percent minimum tax, which seems very manageable. Um, it's something that would obviously hit the tech sector harder than most. 
um, but it does seem like it's a it's a more manageable uh, hit, if you will, for uh, for corporate earnings to take than it would this wholesale increase in the corporate tax rate. So yeah, we'll get something. Um, I, I think the market will probably have no real reaction to it um, because the the pay fors are are so far diluted from what we had uh, feared actually coming into this. So with that kind of policy backdrop, Katie, and given the earnings story, is the U.S. still where you want to be putting your money, or are you looking toward other regions? So we, we have been looking um, outside the U.S., but Europe in particular, Kaylee, because we do think the valuation story is a little bit stronger there, and that's where you really get the bang for the buck in terms of the global economic re- uh, rebound. And so what we see is we're sort of seeing another uh, another second wind for the for the global economy now that the Delta wave has has really been suppressed across uh, much of the world. We're seeing another sort of mini reopening trade, and that really favors. Um, areas of the world like Europe that are exporters that really have that leverage um, and have more cyclical exposure in their benchmarks. So we like Europe, but of course, we we do like the U.S. I mean, the earnings story here is super strong. Uh, the incredible resilience that we see across companies um, we think is going to continue into 2022, and we think we're going to have a pretty good year for earnings next year as well here in the U.S. Katie, I'm looking at WTI crude at north of $80 a, share, uh, $80 a barrel. Did I miss the energy trade here? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, there's going to be support here for higher energy prices, for sure. We see demand continuing to be pretty robust, and we are all very well aware of some of the supply constraints. So uh, we think energy and, and energy stocks in particular can stay pretty strong here into this uh, into this second wind uh, economic rebound. Um, but the, the, I, I think from an investor perspective, it's also important to note that, you know, we're far less energy intensive than we have been in the past. So those who fear that sort of energy inflation will undermine the global economic recovery, I think, are missing that really important component. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate uh, your thoughts, your perspective on these markets as we make our way through the busy part of third quarter earnings season. Katie Nixon, Chief Investment Officer, Northern Trust Wealth Management, uh, joining us on the phone from Rye, New York. Kaylee, this morning on Bloomberg Surveillance, we had Doug Cass on Seabreeze Partners, and he's been notably bearish. And he came out with a note today saying, I've been wrong. My good friend Tom Lee uh, has been right to be bullish, and, but here's my wall of worry. And it's kind of all the things kind of we, we know about. Uh, and he says, at some point, that's going to get this market. Let's check in with another voice here. Ross Mayfield, investment strategy analyst at Barrett. Ross, where do you come down on that? I mean, that wall of worry issues, and, and we're all aware of whether it's inflation or stagflation, whether it's supply chain woes and so on. There's a lot of stuff out there for this market to be concerned about, yet we grind higher. How do you view the market right here? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, uh, you know, wall of worry and, and investor sentiment being, you know, actually quite negative despite the all-time highs is, is, a, is a positive from a contrarian perspective. I mean, it was Earlier in the year where, um, you know, uh, enthusiasm and euphoria and everybody's, you know, retail trading and, and that is that is pulled back. So um, with investor sentiment, fairly negative and consumer sentiment kind of middling. We got a beat the other day, but it's, it's still down. Um, we, we think from a contrarian perspective, that's good for the market, uh, the near term performance. And then more broadly, I mean, we, we remain bullish, I think. There is a cocktail of, of risks and, and, you know, headline risks, headwinds that, that you can count towards. But, you know, the, the couple of legs that the market stands on as far as the bull case and corporate earnings, which are seeing, you know, tremendous resilience and strength there, a very strong consumer picture. And then 
still accommodative policy. I mean, it's coming, you know, it's, it's definitely less accommodative than it was, but still, you know, versus history, still still quite easy policy-wise. So, so there's a lot to, to like about the market as well. On the subject of easy policy, though, Bank of Canada, one example today, outlining a path for quicker tightening than expected in the face of inflation. We see the BOE moving in that direction as well. The Fed is trying its best to be patient, but can you foresee a scenario where it gets so uncomfortable with inflation, it's forced to make a mistake? I, I can see that scenario. It, 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 if I were talking about the risks that I were worried about for 2022, that would be you know near the top of the of the page. Um, I, I'm not worried about tapering. I think you know that's a policy meant for kind of extraordinary circumstances, and we're we're certainly through that. So I think tapering makes a lot of sense now. I, I think that the speed and pace, you know, is kind of irrelevant at this point since they've done such a good job telegraphing it to the market. But I am a little concerned that they will start to get itchy on their new inflation policy um, and tighten, tighten too aggressively, pull forward a rate hike or two into 2022. It, it's not a problem immediately. Um, I mean, the first few rate hikes are never usually, you know, big, um, big scary items for the market. But it pulls forward the whole timeline and, and eventually, you know, the, the Fed has kind of a history of tightening us into, a, you know, a, either a market panic or a recession or, or at least economic weakness. So I, I can't see that scenario. I hope that inflation abates to the point where they're a little more comfortable riding it out. And they have done a good job of trying to separate tapering and tightening in the mind of investors. But it, it's a concern. Ross, um, a lot of folks uh, thinking about how they want to play this market, how they want to be in this market, how, where they want to be overweight this market. A couple of camps out there, one being, I guess, you know, I'm sticking with the tried and true great growth stories. We saw some pretty good tech earnings this past week. Others are saying, no, that cyclical trade, um, the reopening trade, maybe banks on the steepening yield curve, maybe some energy here. How do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, if, if forced into one camp in near term, you know, we remain pretty positive on the cyclical trade. So we've liked financials for a while now. Um, I, I do think the earnings are, are quite supportive. Uh, a lot of different facets of, of the businesses that big banks are doing really well, you know, deal making M&A, um, wealth management, you know, just your classic bank activity with the steepening yield curve, as you know. Um, with that said, I think there's plenty of room in the portfolio for longer term secular growth stories as well. I mean, really, at this point, um, you know, the only place that I wouldn't want to be is getting hyper defensive. I mean, I, you know, I've, I, I kind of outlined our bull case at the beginning, but things like staples, um, which which not only are they you know, rate sensitive and defensive in, a, uh, in an early cycle market, but we'll, we'll face challenges with input costs and, and rising wages, um, things like utilities, which are which are hyper rate sensitive as well. So we, mm-hmm. we expect rates to continue to move higher a little bit from here. But I think there's room for both of those trades in the portfolio, you know, Right. Forced to choose one, we like cyclicals. Ross, before we let you go, I just want to get your thoughts on inflation because you can pick your prefix: deflation, stagflation, <laughs> hyperinflation. <laughs> Do any of them sound right in this environment, or any of them an accurate description? I think just good old tried and true inflation is probably good. I mean, hyperinflation okay. strikes us as silly. Um, that that's that happens when regimes collapse. Um, that's not something we're experiencing here. Deflation and disinflation are, I think, longer term still possibilities. There are a lot of structural forces out there that um, have caused those phenomenons over the last couple of decades. Um, but for now, this is just some, some some pretty classic inflation: too much money chasing too few goods, and the economy and, and companies are working on it. So, um, you know, it's kind of a weird environment, but I, I think it, 
the inflation will eventually abate, maybe settle in a little higher than the last decade, but nothing to be concerned about. Ross, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time there. Ross Mayfield, uh, investment strategist uh, for Baird. Uh, looking at this market here, again, you know, kind of mixed. It got the S&P essentially unchanged, a little about two-tenths lower on the Dow. But we got a little bit of strength on NASDAQ, uh, most likely reflecting some of the good numbers we saw from some of the the big tech names over the past uh, couple of days. And again, Microsoft numbers really, really jumped out at me. Some some really strong top-line uh, margin improvement, free cash flow, the cloud, really the story there at Microsoft. Well, as we get our way through this third quarter earning season, generally the numbers are coming in quite, quite good. The question is, is it enough to satisfy those folks in the marketplace that do have concerns about valuations in this marketplace? Let's check in with a professional on that topic. And others, Sylvia Jablonski, Chief Investment Officer for Defiance ETFs. So, Sylvia, again, some earnings coming through this week, big tech, some pretty good numbers. How are you viewing this third quarter earnings period, and is it enough for you to support kind of the valuations we're seeing out there uh, in the market. Hi, good morning. Well, I think that what the market is, is doing is, is somewhat what I expected. You know, we had um, a whole year worth of conversations around fear of inflation and, you know, sort of fear of COVID coming back into the market and, and impacting stocks and, um, you know, sort of uh, fear of recession and pullback. But what we've actually seen is that, you know, a lot of companies are proving that they really are quality companies and they're exceeding, not only meeting, but exceeding earnings expectations. So we haven't had a whole lot of names report just yet, but we still have a number which is pretty high. 85% of them are, are beating expectations. So even you have, even though you have these supply chain issues, um, a lot of these companies are, are sort of proving that they can pass that cost on to the consumer. And, you know, in terms of valuations, I think that Again, it's, it's the earnings story, right? Earnings have delivered and they've exceeded expectations. We're also in a seasonally strong period now, so we're past that September volatility number. Um, there's loads of liquidity in the market, over two trillion dollars. You know, half of essentially half of GDP is sitting in, is, is liquidity right now. Um, rates may rise in the long term, but I think that'll be because we're going to see better growth and, and the economic recovery. And the biggest part of the economy, the consumer, is doing quite well. So. Um, you know, we keep talking about the, the high demands right now and the supply issues, but I just think that these companies that are reporting now, especially the sort of the large cap companies that make up the, the top percentage of the S&P 500, are going to continue to outperform and, mm. and we'll see positive margins coming in. Well, let's talk about those companies, Sylvia. Obviously, growth was not the name of the game coming into the year, and yet it has outperformed value more often than I think many people expected. It seems though we've kind of gotten out of that conversation on value versus growth, cyclicals versus defensives. How do you kind of think about the baskets in which we put equities and which ones you think will outperform? Yeah, great question. And I think it's interesting because I'm just not a big, um, I, I don't trade that way. Um, so so what I look at actually is is quality companies, you know, company look for quality companies that have strong balance sheets that have, you know, future earnings potential that, you know, will not be impacted um, with some of the inflation reads or will not be impacted with, you know, sort of the modest uh, growth in rates that we expect to come over time. And the companies are the ones, some of the ones that have reported last night. Um, you know, Microsoft and Alphabet are two great examples. I mean, these are cash-heavy companies. They're doing things like um, increasing the amount of buyback. They're increasing the amount of dividends that they pay out. 
they're, they have sort of loads of cash and they're also just thinking about a different type of future. So they're investing in, you know, d- disruptive technologies like the cloud, like AI, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality. Um, so, so I think that they're well positioned to do well for the next decade or so. And then, you know, on the other side of it, well, you know, banks will benefit if interest rates um, go up and, and they sort of have weathered COVID well and, and, and have proven that they're sort of, you know, stable and, and, and cash heavy too. So um, diversified portfolio makes sense right now, but I, I still really like those growth names. And, and I've been actually pretty excited about um, the pullbacks on, on, on the names earlier in the year, as you mentioned, when they weren't outperforming value. Shift gears a little bit, Sylvia. I want to take advantage of your expertise in ETFs and crypto because we have a crypto ETF, B-I-T-O. Just give us your thoughts here. We have Bitcoin uh, trading off of some recent highs here today, off about 5% pretty sharply. Just give us your overview today. Crypto, the ETF of crypto. Give us your thoughts. We'd appreciate that. Sure. So, um, first of all, I get really excited when I see pullbacks in crypto because I'm <laughs> in the camp of it's going to 200,000 and, and that's going to happen sooner than later. Um, How soon? And, and I feel the same way about Ethereum. I think in the next year or two we're there. Wow. I don't okay. think it's a five-year trade. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, there there's sort of various reasons for that. You have countries like El Salvador adopting it. You have, you know, companies sort of using it now as a currency to buy and, and sell um, crypto is going to be part of this massive movement in NFTs, which is just sort of take, slowly taking over the universe. We don't talk about it enough, but um, you're going to have crypto, which is which is right now the only way to pay for for NFTs or one of the main ways to pay for NFTs. Um, and, and I think that you have um, you know you have the ability to, to now trade them or, or or get exposure to them through an ETF, through a mutual fund, through a trust. So. Um, you know, market makers are going to have to buy more to hedge that exposure. Uh, so I'm, I'm very bullish on crypto, particularly, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, NFTs. But to answer your question a little more directly about the ETF, um, you know, I think it's great. I think it's great for particularly for advisors that don't have a vehicle, um, where, you know, it, by which they can get exposure to to Bitcoin. Um you know, if you ask me, like, what is the best way to invest in crypto? I think it's to to get exposure to the actual physical asset. I think it's it's worth just buying it and storing it in a digital wallet. But not everyone is is sort of savvy enough to do that, or or perhaps um, un- uncomfortable with with doing that, um, or perhaps just unable to do that based on res- firm restrictions right. and things like that. So I just think it's awesome to have these different options to get access to Bitcoin, physical trust. And now ETFs, it's great for right. great story for investors. Sylvia, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank Sylvia Jablonski, Chief Investment Officer for Defiance ETFs. One of the problems of getting Bitcoin is if you get the code and you can't <laughs> Not unlock it. That one's for <laughs> yes, you. And that is a problem for some people. We'll have more coming up. This is Bloomberg. Boy, when I was a research analyst, I would uh, darken the door of TCW a couple times a year when I was out in L.A. to check in with my uh, analyst counterpart out there and talk about some ideas. That was equities. Equities are much more fun than fixed income. But we'll check in with Laird <laughs> Landman today. He's co-director of fixed income for TCW based in L.A. Uh, Laird, fixed income is a tough place to make a buck these days. I'm looking at the 10-year at you know 1.57. What are you guys doing? Yeah, it is. It is not the exciting place that equities uh, <laughs> has been. Um, it is a bastion of stability. You know, we see problems in the 
the uh, the property sectors controversy about fiscal stimulus, and you look at spreads, and you know it was uh, 80 over at the end of June for investment grade. It's 80 over now. <laughs> um, you maybe get a basis point or two of widening here or there, but it has been. Uh, incredibly over-liquefied, we would say. Over-liquefied, uh, I like that. <laughs> um, but we have seen, you know, obviously the market is moving ahead of the Fed here. We've tightened since the beginning of the year, a good 65 basis points yep. just through the market. Uh, and the belly of the curve, you know, more like 80. So yeah. the markets are beginning to price price action in. Well, let's talk about the yield curve because we're sub 80 basis points on the 530s curve. I mean, that's the flattest going back since April 2020. Can that flattening persist, or is the market starting to overdo it a little bit? I Probably in the interim, it's slightly overdone, I would say. But obviously, depending on what happens on the fiscal side, which is really the interesting story uh, in our opinion, um, there's still a lot of money to be spent that was authorized last year. Uh, how it's spent and when it's spent, you know, the states and the cities that got money have spent very little of that. If you put more fiscal stimulus on top of that, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, Carl Smith's piece uh, this morning on Bloomberg was right on about the fact that this push in inflation that you see in the U.S. that's greater than other countries is not just a supply story. It's not just, you know, the ports are involved, obviously. There are supply chain issues, but a lot of it's excess demand that has been placed in our economy versus others. You look at our curve versus the euro curve, uh, yeah. it's a really very different story. Um, our curve looks like it's supposed to be flat around, you know, two, a little bit, little bit above 2%. Uh, the euro curve looks like it's going to flatten, according to the markets, you know, around 50 basis points in the next five years. <laughs> so um, there is a lot priced in. Uh, I do think that if there is more fiscal stimulus, uh, you do see the Fed eventually try to move here. Um, and as they move, uh, the curve could, again, overestimate the ability of the Fed to tighten. We don't think it's that great. We don't think it's that big a threat. But Hey, Laird, if I'm one of your high yield portfolio managers and I walk into your office and I say, I want to push the envelope on yield and return, how, how far will you let me go in terms of, you know, ratings and things like that? Well, I think the, the thing about TCW's approach is that we've always believed that you have to have sort of a macro risk management overlay. And I think our macro risk management approach looks at where things are now. And again, the stock markets could run a lot more stocks you know, can go to the moon, as you know. Yep. If you look, if you take your Bloomberg out and you do your, your chart of uh, high-yield spreads, what you'll see is they mean revert and that 280 over is pretty close where it is today uh, to where it, where it stops getting any tighter. So mm. I let you push it in terms of maybe adding uh, yield to the portfolio, but not spread duration. I don't want to get in a situation where if spreads widen 100 or 200 basis points, I'm looking at 8 or 10% losses on that portfolio. That's what we have to protect the client against. And that's sort of the job of the macro call at TCW. Well, but to your point, I mean, sub 300 basis points, those are remarkably tight spreads. Do you think the appetite for credit risk can continue and these really cheap borrowing costs for even kind of junk-rated companies, they're going to be able to continue to borrow easily and cheaply? Well, I think that I, I don't think it lasts indefinitely. Um, it could, when you look at sort of the amount of demand that's been stimulated in the U.S. and how liquid the markets are and how much liquidity the Fed has put in, until they begin to withdraw that liquidity, which of course could be as soon as uh, you know next month, 
um, when they uh, probably announce a taper. Um, until that's withdrawn, it's hard to know. Um, but certainly this could persist for a while. And I think what you have to do as a manager in high yield or in any space is we have to make sure that we're capturing some yield in the portfolio without going into the zombie companies that today look healthy because basically there's such huge demand pull. But in a recession, basically these are companies that can't make it and they don't have assets. Mm. And so as the more we overstimulate, the more uh, uh, inventory of companies like that builds up and in the high-yield market, and then you run into problems. And so we really have to watch that. Hey, Laird, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, Laird Landman, he's co-director of Fixed Income for TCW. They have $265 billion in assets under management uh, based in L.A. And again, Kelly, when you went out there as an analyst, you had to get a TCW meeting, and you had <laughs> to get a meeting at Capital Group. Those are the big dogs, and then you could build everything else around it. But uh, it's amazing, uh, you know, the... You know, TCW on the fixed income side, really for a couple of years now, been very cautious mm. uh, in their view uh, of the marketplace. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.